Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, we talk to Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini to get the latest on impeachment and Iran. Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce joins us to give us an update on the teacher striking. And former Mayor Larry Deany joins us to discuss what we should do about Hamilton's arena woes. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Setting up for impeachment. This has been delayed by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, it looks like this is all going to go through uh, the final process today and the trial eventually get on, getting underway. Uh, this in regard to uh, impeachment with a, two, uh, two articles of impeachment against the president, which you know we've talked about before uh, several times on the show. To bring us up to date on all of this, let's bring in Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer, correspondent with Global News. He's in Washington now and he's on the line. Hey, Reggie, uh, thanks for joining us again today. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. So uh, we're hearing news breaking that, uh, and this is in, in uh, apart from the impeachment situation, but a story in regard to uh, the U.S.-China trade deal. Anything you can tell us about that at this point? Well, we know that it is phase one of this trade deal, and we know that it kind of caps off what's been, uh, you know, almost two years of back and forth in this kind of trade war between Washington and Beijing that all started back at the beginning of March, uh, beginning of 2018, rather, in March, when uh, the president had announced that he was going to go after Chinese steel and Chinese aluminum with uh, tariffs of up to 25%. And this kind of really started this tit for tat over the last, you know, 20 ish, 21 months, where we saw new tariffs on Chinese goods. We saw China try to tariff a whole bunch of other U.S. goods and caught up in between were the U.S. farmers who were kind of uh, stuck in limbo with either high prices or nobody buying their product. Now the president, uh, you know, signing this what's called phase one of this trade agreement. He says he's intending to go to uh, Beijing sometime in the future to potentially deal with what's going to be phase two. Uh, ultimately, what we're going to see now is kind of the loosening and the, the kind of uh, cooling of a long simmering trade war that uh, you know really has kind of put setting a lot up for impeachment. This has been delayed point, you know, by a Speaker good Nancy Canadians Pelosi. And Chinese people, uh, it looks like this is all going uh, to in the go middle through of this back uh, the final process. Uh, is this significant or is this political posturing? Well, uh, I mean, look, the president has said uh, for months that he's wanted uh, to get this uh, done, even though sometimes he would kind of pull it off the table and say it's it's in the future, it's happening now, it could be imminent. Bring us up to date on all of this. This is a big deal because Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer, correspondent election eleven months from now in Washington now. And he's on the line. A good hey, Reggie, uh, thanks for joining us really again today. Much appreciated. Not only good afternoon. By this kind of so uh, we're hearing news China breaking and, uh, and that, US, but uh, also by these kind in, of big bailouts uh, that have really been trying to the impeachment situation, but a story in regard to the U.S. China trade deal. Anything you can tell us about that at this point? Well, we know that it is phase one of this trade deal, and we know that it kind of caps off what's been, you know, almost two years of back and forth in this kind of trade war between Washington and Beijing. Now, that all started back in the beginning thing. of March. Uh, beginning so of it'll be kind of, you know, we'll have to do a wait and see when uh, uh, the president had announced you know, that he was going to go after Chinese steel and, and Chinese what aluminum with, on the other uh, side tariffs with the Chinese delegation. All right, obviously lots kind of on really the plate today. Uh, let's talk about impeachment. Bring us up to date. What happens today? 
today. On months where we so saw today, new uh, an hour and a half ago, we had the House Speaker come out and she introduced the House in between and these are going to be the people that represent the Democrats when this trial ultimately starts up next week. There's a group of them. Some of them are chairs from the committees who were leading phase one of this trade agreement. Some of them are long-standing members of Congress. One of them sometime in the future to potentially deal with what's going to be phase two. Ultimately, what we're going to see now is kind of the loosening and the kind of three of them under belt right now. Of a long simmering trade war that really has kind of put a lot of Americans way at that point. You know, a good number of Canadians and Chinese. Later today at five o'clock, we have a ceremonial walkthrough from the House. Is this significant or is this political posturing? Well, I mean, look, the president has said for months that he's wanted to get this done, even though sometimes. So we remember there has been a delay for the past month or so, just under a month, I guess. This is a big deal. Reasoning for that, and did it work for Nancy Pelosi? Well, I mean, the reasons were President Nancy Pelosi. You know, she said she didn't want to rush the West through. She said that there was still work that needed to be done, and this could be considered now a win for the Democrats. Just last night, there was a new big bailout that have really been trying to send money into the information and tech. Gets kind of gobbled up by the bigger farms and, the, and some you know, of the, his associates. The smaller farms are facing federal kind of charges. Themselves, uh, for this is a big deal and could be good news for the Trump administration may have been and for the president as he seeks re-election. You know, it's, it's go after, you know we're into the, uh, not only the Biden couple of but seconds also now since it's actually been surveillance on. Uh, so it'll be kind of you know we'll have to do a wait and see as to how you know how the House last year by the public and what happens on the other side with Chinese delegation. All right, obviously lots on the plate today. But let's talk about him. Give, bring us up to date what happens to today. The Senate and so today, uh, about an hour and a half ago, we had Why introduce this now? Out, and she well, I mean, they're just the getting to it now. So whether or not you know, Democrats have been holding on to it or whether or not Democrats when this trial ultimately starts up next week. There's a group of them to light now. Some of them are chairs from the committees who are leading the impeachment So the information and the evidence are long-standing members of Congress. One of them, and House Manager, who was actually a staffer, deal with it in trial format over there and was introduced the evidence and whether or not voted. So this could have big now uh, during this implications. One. So she's got three of them under the belt right now. That is going uh, these to are the people who the Democrats are going to rely the on to make their so case. So now and it is off to the Senate, which is obviously controlled by Republicans. In the uh, Later today, at five o'clock, we have the ceremonial walkthrough from the House in the Senate, where the actual transmission of these articles. This is all still to be seen. Mitch McConnell has been, you know, so we remember there has been a delay for the past month or so, just under a month, I guess. Reasoning for that, and did it work for Nancy Pelosi? Well, I mean, the reasons were up to Nancy Pelosi and done what she didn't want to rush things through. There are some moderate Republicans done, and this could be considered find themselves politically vulnerable heading into the election in November. And it may suit their interests politically to side with the Democrats and allow for witnesses to come forward. So whether or not his associates or not, if 51 people in the Senate vote in favor of allowing witnesses to come forward, shows that there may have been a and you know, if scheme Democrats to get go after uh, not only the Bidens, five but also Republicans to kind of put surveillance could be on a trial uh, that neither Mitch McConnell nor the was one of the witnesses how who will, testified How are Republicans reacting all these to this new information brought night, forward by painting a bad picture Well, I mean, look, Republicans are going to constantly slam the Democrats and fall in line with the president no matter what. They're talking about timing. They're talking about, you know, Nancy Pelosi and simply been holding things hostage unnecessarily. Well, I mean, they're just getting to it now. So whether or not, you know, Democrats 
going on Twitter, how whether or not investigations have been going on behind the ones closed doors, because the, uh, House, the information you know, like just we said, came it's to light now, so all they can do is come out and speak and posture is over, kind of get information and evidence if some of them are involved over to the Senate so now it is off to the Senate, which is obviously controlled by Republicans. Do we know yet which way Mitch McConnell is going to handle this? Is it quick in, quick out? Witnesses allowed? This is all still to be seen. Mitch McConnell has been back and forth on whether he wants this to be ended quickly, whether or not he wants a couple of days of this. Expect any surprises here? We've all kind of been predicting the outcome of this all along. Do you expect another shoot and drop and somehow this to dart one way or the other? I don't think that this is going to be some kind of big aha moment for the Democrats and they're going to see some kind of removal of the president in November. And it may suit their interests politically to side with the Democrats and allow for witnesses to come forward. So whether or not Mitch McConnell wants this or not, security advisor for in the Senate almost two months now has been coming out to say I have information to tell. I have stories to be tied. And you know, if the Democrats and I will come and talk of these Democrats are really going to try to push to say that they want to hear this could be a Senate trial that neither provide some big sparks and big fireworks. How will how are Republicans reacting to the Democrats who are trying to lead? You know, the well, I mean, Republicans are going to constantly slam the Democrats and fall in line with the president. They still want to hear from somebody like Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or the whistleblower and those holding things you know, the hostage unnecessarily with what Republicans uh, you know, I think it's going from to information uh, that was be interesting to watch and verified over and over again and are going to be the ones dealing with this because the House you know, would get like we said, out it's over and done kind of all they can do is come out and speak and posture and kind of get riled up and you know so still expecting a trial to start kind of managers on the Republican side in the Senate Tuesday one thing after the the articles are transmitted tonight tomorrow will be kind of a more ceremonial day for new jurors that are sworn in because they understand of the Supreme this will be sworn kind of document dumped last night over the Senate, on, uh, and the House managers will read aloud the articles of impeachment. That's months. going to be the big if new day information for tomorrow when we presented to the Senate. Everything this to could build provide up new and damning, hearing and damaging information on Tuesday, to President Trump, Trump and those who have aligned up, and then it's kind of up in the air. So there are a lot of going to go potential what you know when it could happen. Might actually put his foot down and try to call and get into this trial. Can't let you go, Reggie, without asking you. We've all kind of been predicting the outcome of this all along. Do you expect another shoot and drop? Somehow, in regard to <laughs> dart one uh, way or the other, plane, uh, I don't that was, uh, think that this is going to be some kind of big uh, aha moment for the Democrats Iran. and that they're going obviously to see Canadians some kind of removal of the president from office. Is it uh, I think that you know, if down there, we are able to get some kind of surprises, it could be. Well, I mean, you know, this was obviously a big deal. John Blast, the former national security advisor, unfortunately, no matter how big a story is, has been coming out to say, I have information to tell. I can have stories really quickly in the U.S. because things to do with President Trump often. Trying to push you know, to say that they want to hear other stories are. Who could uh, it's not the front page story anymore. It's not even a kind of top of newscast uh, for, story anymore. Uh, for the Democrats said, who are trying to uh, you know, lead hearing uh, from the, uh, the ultimate eviction in Iran, of the president, that and I don't they're think trying Republicans to want to hear some from that because we're hearing from Republicans uh, for that they still want to hear from somebody like Joe Biden or Hunter Biden the US or the whistleblower in Washington and say the names associated with what Republicans brought up during the information that was made months ago that's been verified over and over again. It's unclear what the Republicans would get out, you know, ensuring of that any we don't kind of up in a witness war, list to that go kind after of the president goes to for what he claimed to be this imminent threat. So, still expecting a trial to start next week. His, uh, We're expecting death. it to start on uh, and Tuesday. Kind of tomorrow, after the, uh, the articles are transmitted tonight, tomorrow will be kind of a more ceremonial day. We'll have all the jurors that are sworn in. 
talked about in the a Chief kind of Justice of the Supreme kind of Court, way, but sworn that, in to preside story, over the Senate, has really and the House managers will read aloud the articles of impeachment. That's going to be the big day for tomorrow when we kind of see everything start to build up. Maybe we're hearing that it will likely come out Tuesday when this thing will actually start up, and then it's kind of up in the air as to how long much more go and you know when Mitch McConnell might actually put his foot down and try to call and escalating tensions. Can't let you go, Reggie, without asking you. How is that playing? Does that play in the mention what the chatter has been uh, well like i mean the maple leaf food ceo was picked up by some of the networks down here uh, was picked up by some of the papers uh, but it really was wasn't a topic of discussion that, uh, uh, but it does echo what a lot of obviously democrats Canadians have been saying that the president really kind of uh, escalated this to a point where down there you know, how concerned it's, are it's americans again about this? inappropriate well i mean you know this was obviously a big deal through last week but you know unfortunately no matter how big a story is but worldwide it's oftentimes ratchet and fade from the spotlight really quickly two countries in the u.s because already at things to do with President point. Trump oftentimes uh, and, you know, hearing you know, from, uh, from Maple Leaf CEOs are saying that you know, uh, this was it's not you know, the front page story anymore. It's not even a uh, kind of top uh, of the newscast the story anymore. That uh, said, this is something that's uh, you know, been echoed by from, Democrats, by uh, some officials in Iran, uh, that they're trying the to place some of the blame that if the President uh, hadn't for Iranian forces bringing that plane down on the U.S. They're trying to go after Washington and say this was a problem for President Trump. This was brought up during the Democratic debate last night. So there was a mention of you know, that uh, this Democratic may not have happened. So Oval Office, the, the, the you know, comments coming that we don't get up in a prime minister to echo the sentiments from what he claimed uh, from, from the Democrats and from people across the U.S. By uh, will, Soleimani, do you think there is his, any uh, more in death. regard to uh, and kind of Democrats uh, talking when about this all went down in the killing of Soleimani? It's being talked about in a kind of strategic kind of way. But as this, do you think an ongoing sort of thing? Because obviously, where's the starting point here? Or there was specific actions that he was kind of taken to. over the conversation. Well, I mean, the, uh, the word imminent CEO, is, is kind of in question right now because the president says it was imminent. It could have been four embassies. The, the secretary of state is saying, well, imminent is kind of a forever word it, and it might have been uh, happening down the road. That uh, that's where the concerns are as to uh, why this, in what this attack How took place. Is that particularly play? since play in the we knew that it had been in play for months Well, I mean, the Maple Leaf food CEO was picked up by some of the networks down here. It was picked up by some of the papers, but it really wasn't a topic of discussion. But it does echo what a lot of Democrats have been saying that the president really kind of Tehran uh, escalated this to Iran has, where, uh, has you know, a good number of, it's, it's, of again, proxies and militias throughout the Middle East that could be carried out with some kind of uh, retaliatory for attack. Uh, We've seen this shooting down into this Iraq plane, over the last Democrats you know, couple of days that the or so, ratcheted on her attention between these two countries. Uh, but where you know, the taking down of a top general in Iran, we have to remember that there is already some belief CEOs saying that this was going to be somebody in place. Just because you take a person out doesn't mean that you're taking the mind. Something that's been echoed the by kind of Democrats by some Republicans and by I think that's uh, a good that, chunk of the uh, American public say that if the president had watched these you know, things needed start to simmer to be able down to go after uh, Iran, if the president in had a, uh, you know, said that this was an Iranian president and angry uh, hearing that this Iranian might have been from seven months ago when the president initially said that he was going to go after Soleimani, that this may well, I mean, I don't think we're going to see a withdrawal of the U.S. troops in any kind of big way because a the president understands that they need troops there to protect Americans and American interests. Will do you think there is any more? in regard what to Iran wants to see. They want to when see this all the U.S. taken the, out. They want to see uh, the, uh, a smaller uh, presence of kind of NATO-aliance uh, troops in, in, through the region, and plan. that could simply be is to allow this, for a greater think, Iranian presence thing? in Iraq and the starting the point here, or to allow for there was specific, uh, you know, more propaganda uh, to be moving around without any kind of Well, I mean, the word imminent is kind of in question right now because the president says it was imminent it could have been four embassies. The Secretary of State is saying, well, imminent is kind of a forever word and it might have been happening 
happening down the road, Iraq, uh, trying that's where to, the concerns uh, are as to why and, this and kind it, of dwindled down the numbers place, of so particularly Islamic since so there's a good we knew that it had been the in play for there months and months and months, and that's why that was on the list. Reggie Giacchini with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News today at 5, 8, and 6 for more on all of this. As always, Reggie, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Iran has Full plate for Reggie down there, man. Everything from the U.S.-China trade deal, which is the press conference is still going on. We've seen missiles being launched into Iraq over the last, you know, couple of days or so. Not an unheard of situation. Of course, but you know, the taking down of a top general in Iran. We have to remember that there is already somebody in place of Soleimani right now, and there's always going to be somebody in place. Just because you take a person out doesn't mean that you're taking the mindset and the kind of will to move forward out. And I think that's something that bears remembering as we kind of watch these things start to simmer down a little bit. In a televised speech, the Iranian president, an angry uh, Iranian president, lashing out at the U.S. and Europe for its presence in the Middle East. Are we going to see that change anytime? Well, I mean, I don't think we're going to see a withdrawal of U.S. troops uh, in any kind of big way, only because, A, the president understands that they need troops there to protect Americans and American interests through the region. But also that plays into what Iran wants to see. They want to see the U.S. taken out. They want to see uh, a smaller presence of kind of NATO uh, alliance troops through the region, and that could simply be to allow for a greater Iranian presence in uh, Iraq and further west, or to allow for uh, you know more propaganda to be moving around without any kind of uh, uh, blockade by U.S. forces. You know, Iran is going to say that they want the U.S. out. I don't think the U.S. is simply going to throw up a white flag and say take over all this land. Iraq, uh, the U.S. rather, has played a significant role, especially in Iraq, trying to uh, take out and and kind of dwindle down the numbers of the so-called Islamic State. So there's a good reason for the U.S. troops to be there. I don't think just because Iran wants to see that, that it's going to happen. Reggie Giacchini with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. As always, Reggie, thank you so much for the time. Uh, Thank you. Full plate for Reggie down there. Man, everything from uh, the U.S.-China trade deal, which uh, is the press conference is still going on. We'll try to to decipher that and get some information for you coming up a little later. Uh, Also impeachment and then, of course, uh, the shooting down by Iran of that Ukrainian jet airliner. Uh, Lots going on. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. There are rotating strikes, uh, which we are experiencing here in the hammer. It is Wednesday, and that has seemed to have been the day where uh, rotating strikes have have hit, uh, I guess, starting in and around Christmas time and such. It still appears as there is no movement uh, whatsoever in this discussion. Uh, However, there was a press conference this morning uh, with the education minister, and he basically came out and said that uh, they are going to compensate people for any uh, lost situation as far as, uh, uh, you know, some people who have to take time off of work in order to uh, uh, take care of their kids and such. So the Ontario education minister has uh, announced uh, $25 to about $60 a day for child care funding during uh, this strike uh, projected to cost millions of dollars. Many are saying, why not just take that and give it to the teachers or put it into the education system and such. 
Um, so as soon as we get the education minister on, we will uh, bring you up to date on all of this. Uh, parents whose kids are not yet who are not yet enrolled in school but attend school-based child care centers affected by the strikes will also get a piece of this. Uh, while those children in, are in grades uh, one through seven will get a little less. To talk more about all of this, uh, Stephen Lecce is with us, education minister for the province of Ontario, and on the line now. Stephen, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, Scott. Good to be on the phone with you today. Uh, obviously, it's Wednesday, and it's uh, time for another set of rotating strikes. You also had a press conference this morning uh, to announce right. compensation for parents. Uh, elaborate on that. What does this involve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the basis of this, uh, to be quite clear with you, Scott, is it's about helping families, um, you know, put a few bucks in their pockets because of the consequence, the adverse impacts of these escalating one-day strikes that are hurting families, and particularly vulnerable families, low-income families, single-parent families. At the end of the day, these kids should be in class, but having, with the teachers' union escalating uh, on a weekly basis, I thought it'd be prudent uh, to help offset that hardship created by the unions by putting together a plan for child care. Uh, if parents could register right now at www.ontario.ca forward slash support for parents. Essentially what we're offering them is uh, support of $60 per day for children aged 0 to 6 years old who are not yet enrolled in school, but they attend one of those you know, uh, school-based child care centers that will probably re- close as a result of the teacher union strike. So $60 for a child 0 to 6. $40 per child per day, again, for students in JK and SK. So if you're in kindergarten, you're getting the $40 for those students. $25 a day uh, for every student in grades 1 uh, to grade 7, including grade 7. And if you have a child with an exceptionality, you know, for example, developmental disability, it'll be $40 uh, per day for uh, per child for students from JK all the way up to uh uh, grade 12 or age 21. So we provided this support because we're trying to offset the fiscal impacts of child care. I think it is very disheartening that the teacher unions are escalating, creating this type of challenge, given that child care is already expensive. When we came to power, it was the most expensive in the nation under the former Liberal government. And I can't conceive why anyone who's committed to our children, why these teacher union leaders would with, with, would urge their members or direct their members to withdraw services. Uh, I really think that's unfortunate. I think it's hurting parents, and I'm hoping this announcement will, will assist with that transition while we work expeditiously to get a deal and end this needless cyclical escalation. Uh, many on the other side are asking why now. Uh, what has been the response from parents? Are they asking for this? And, and I heard yeah. one reporter say during the scrum there that is this a bribe to get to parents on your side? Well, we're doing it now because we've seen an increase of action as of the last few weeks. We're trying to get ahead of any potential escalation where it could impact elementary students, which obviously those kids, you know, they, they would be perhaps a problem for families to have to leave their children at home for the youngsters. So we've, we've increased support direct to parents. We've created a seamless uh, process, an easy uh, system where you sign up, you provide your kid's uh, name, the school, the board uh, the date of birth and you know, some financial information, you can get automatic transfers. You, don't, you only have to register once. It's every day. It's also retroactive. So if you've been impacted by these uh, closures in the past, you know, those monies are accessible. And look, I, I think while the teachers unions are creating uh, great distress on families, it's the government that's putting 
money in their pockets to help them offset those difficulties. I really stand with parents against this escalation. I think families are sick and tired of every three or four years, regardless of the government. As recently as 2015, we had strikes in Ontario and a variety of boards. And I just think enough is enough. I think these kids deserve to be in class. That's a premise I think I would like to believe we could all agree with, but apparently not. We've I... offered reasonable, we've made some reasonable offers. And I think, Scott, uh, it sounds like now that they've litig- they're litigating against us in court, that they are focused on receiving a compensation hike that would amount to $1.5 billion, 100% more than what we're offering. And it sounds like if we don't give them that, they're going to continue with these strikes. And I'm calling them out on that. I just think it's not constructive and it's not going to help us get a deal. Uh, The critics say, why not just put this money for uh, the people experiencing difficulty against or into the educational system instead of the parents? Well, I mean, as as, as you may know, uh, every day that if all boards, if all unions withdraw service, all the members are on strike, uh, there's a $60 million savings per day. And so we're putting the vast majority of those savings back into the pockets of families to help them. Uh, I'm not, you know, surprised that you know, the teacher union leaders will like it perhaps for themselves, but it's going to go into the pockets of parents. That's where it, it could really work. We're also expanding um, day programs uh, in Ontario, uh, removing some regulations to allow for expanded daycare, of, uh, I mean, uh, uh, camps in Ontario, which are affordable, accessible, and pretty common in a lot of municipalities right across Ontario. And finally, just on your latter question, I mean, look, I believe putting money in the pockets of parents is the right thing to do, period. Uh, we, we have a child care tax credit. We were opposed on not providing 100% of the money in institutional child care. And I just think as a progressive conservative, I'd rather parents make decisions to raise their children. I'd rather put money in their pockets. That's my philosophical principle. I'd rather not be creating this support for parents initiative if, if the unions did not escalate to the point that it's now become so common. And it's hurting families financially, let alone academically for their child. But I thought it would be prudent to open this initiative today, have families register and should, hopefully we don't, but if we need to utilize these services going forward, they're going to have money in their pockets and that's where it belongs. Considering where these discussions, negotiations have gone in the past, are you worried this may just escalate things? And again, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a parent in my 50s who as a student went through this uh, and have kids in elementary or a kid in elementary and secondary uh, at this time and getting it from all ends. I, as a parent, have had enough of all of this. Why do we seem to keep to go, having to go through this every couple of years is there not a better way or is every province having this difficulty every couple of years no matter what the government of the day is yeah well we've seen escalation as i understand and so are at least some difficulty negotiations with the new democratic government of bc uh currently uh, look this happens all the time across parties i mean it happened under bob ray for crying out loud it happened under mike harris kathleen Wynne, dalton mcginty uh, now Doug Ford, as if these people have a lot in common, uh, but they don't. Over successive years, different parties, different premiers, different actors, but it's the same result, it's the same story, and I listen, I am not going to defend it. I, I am going to say Is there a I, better way? I mean, and again, I'm trying not to take sides here, and it's obvious where I stand on this, but is there a better way to do this? Well, look, I think uh, in the immediate term, the priority is just for the teacher unions to understand that their decisions are having an impact on families. 
on the long-term item, uh, you know, Scott, I'm happy to come back and listen more to perspectives mm. out there. But I just, I mean, I'm being quite honest with you, when yeah. it comes to sort of what's my priority now and in the coming weeks, it isn't in looking at that type of change. It's really looking at just getting a deal to end the frustration that families, and, and, and the financial challenges that I think a lot of families have. And I think the fact that I'm the only one out there talking about that impact, whereas you had the teachers union saying, oh, why don't you just give it to me? Or, you know, the opposition opposing the idea of giving money to parents altogether. It just doesn't seem right. And so hopefully families out there know two things coming out of the announcement. One, you have a child in the system. You're going to have money in your pockets. You don't have to register twice. You register once. We're making it seamless. English and French is accessible today on Ontario.ca forward slash support for parents. And two, we are going to work very hard to avoid further escalation. Because the fact of the matter is, Scott, we today, since 2003-04, you know, the Bill of Education salaries have increased uh, by over 80% over that period. At the same time, we have 12% more teachers and less than 1% more students. So we're, we're putting money in the system. We have more educators, fewer students. We're making transformative investments in public education, including in Hamilton and right across Ontario in the public and Catholic education boards to make to ensure the system is changing with the global economy, the disruptive economy, giving young people the tools they need to succeed in a very competitive marketplace. But the op- the opposition to any form of change, any form of um, reform to the system, a system that I don't think a lot of parents out there would necessarily suggest is perfect. There's a lot of strengths, but we've got a lot of ways to improve. And I'm not going to be the minister to defend the status quo. I want the system to be better for our students. I want our young people to graduate and actually have a decent chance of getting a job and, God forbid, own a home and be able to have all the aspirations that my immigrant parents came to this country seeking. So that's what we're trying to do. And I just hope that all the parties could sit at the table and get a deal and end these strikes. They're just not hurting uh, families, they're hurting kids, and I think increasingly communities across Ontario. Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce has been with us. Uh, government will uh, allow money to uh, parents who are affected by rotating strikes. Uh, Stephen Lecce, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, lots to talk about uh, in regard to uh, potential arena in and around the Bulldogs, Lamridge Mall. We know that story. Uh, looks like that's coming to a head uh, today at Council. And Hamilton's LRT Task Force, where is that going? Let's bring in former Mayor City of Hamilton, Larry DeAnne. He is with us now. Larry, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Scott, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Larry, do you want to weigh in on where we are with teacher strikes and such? I know you were a former teacher, principal, and such. Do you have an opinion on any of this? Oh, I certainly do. Um, you know, this morning on my way out of the house, I saw teachers at Orchard Park Secondary School in uh, in uh, Stony Creek uh, with their placards and marching up and down the sidewalk trying to get some support. Uh, and people from the public and uh, people were either honking or not. But uh, it was not a happy sight uh, for me to see because it brings back memories when uh, during the Harris years, I was principal of a high school and uh, teachers walked out. Um, you know, we uh, they went on strike. Um, we as principals were out of the union then, so we were not on strike, although it was a very disruptive uh, uh, relationship ending sort of a process of where nobody won and uh, most of all the students who uh, were used as pawns by everybody concerned uh, to make their own political points and uh, it's a very very sad time 
to see that after so many years, we're back at it again. Uh, and I remember after that period, it was Dalton McGinty that said, we're going to put an end to all of this. And some say, uh, wrote a blank check for the teachers. I know you may disagree with that. But then at the end of the day, when uh, the, teacher's princ- or the, t- uh, the teacher's premier asked the unions to take a pause during the recession uh, and, and on their 2% increases, well, most were getting nothing, uh, they literally made them walk the plank. We saw the same thing with Kathleen Wynne. So uh, again, Larry, my concern with all of this, and I've gone through this as a student and as a parent with kids in the elementary and secondary system, uh, when does this end? Because it seems it's the yeah. same argument. It's never about wages. It's always about the kids. This has been going on for 40 years. It doesn't man- ma- matter if it's Mike Harris, if it's Bob Ray, if it's Dalton McGinty, if it's Kathleen Wynne, or if it's Doug Ford. We end up at the same place. Can you know? And at the end of the day, we're always crapping on the government of the day. Is it time for perhaps the unions to take a step back here, considering they can't seem to get along with any of these parties? Well, so so, and and I appreciate that, and and um, that's certainly a perspective. You're right. I, I don't agree with all of it. I agree with some of it, uh, but I do not agree with all of it, um, and primarily because uh, it was also McGinty who. Um, who put a 1% cap, um, and he was highly criticized for it by all concerned. But after they had uh, done so much for teachers, why couldn't they take a pause? I mean, the reality well, was but, we were in a recession. Sure, but the reality also is that that uh, teachers' contracts didn't keep up with inflation uh, for many years, um, and, uh, and there was always uh, a catch-up at some point that governments had to agree to and admit to. Haven't they uh, caught and, up yet? Well, some some of them would tell you no. Some of them would tell you that that they have not kept up with inflation. any more than the average citizen on the street. Well, and in some cases, the average citizen on the street has done very poorly, and in some cases, the average citizen also includes individuals who have done very well um, during the last number of years. And all you have to do is look at, you know, uh, real estate agents and insurance agents, uh, people who sell gasoline and. Uh, there are any number of people who are doing really well. But, the, the, but the, the, here's my point, though, because I'd rather not get into whose fault this is. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I think there's fault to go around uh, everywhere on this. But every government that comes in decides that the high ticket prices are health care and education, and we're going to take money out of both in order to balance budgets. And at the time when they're doing that, they also do some things that are costing money. So, for example, this government, I don't want this to be a political discussion necessarily, but they're spending $30 million challenging what courts have already said is the right of the federal government to institute this, this carbon pricing. And, and this is a lot of money. They have spent $750 million uh, um, to compensate the, uh, the uh, green energy deals uh, that were struck that's money that could have gone towards education as well. But is it really good? You know, again, I also have this problem uh, in the sense that it's always about the kids. It's never about compensation. It's always about the kids. And this has been going on forever. It's never about compensation. It's only about the kids. Again, this is just wearing old, Larry. I mean, it's it's, it's the same thing over and over and over again. 
And Scott, I agree with you. Of course, it's about compensation. That's you know, unions. It's, are it's not a student union. It's a teacher union. It's a teachers union, and the union's job is to try to get the best deal for their uh, for the people that they represent. So it's always about the wages and the working conditions and so on. However, kids are part of that, right? Because if you have satisfied, fairly treated, not overly well treated, but fairly treated employees. In any enterprise, whether it's a radio station or, or a public school or a private uh, steel company, if you have people who feel that they've been treated well, they'll do a better job. And students are often the forgotten ones in any of these. I've seen Stephen Lecce over the last little while essentially use students uh, as a reason to, to uh, reduce costs in his education portfolio. It's obviously a mandate by the premier and the government of the day, which is their right to reduce costs. But they did it arbitrarily without taking into account the contracts that they have to negotiate. And that's what's causing all of these problems. Does anybody think that over the last 40 years, though, that teachers haven't been treated well, that they haven't progressed? I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. Teachers have done very well. Uh, You know, Over the last 40 years. Teachers have done extremely well. I wouldn't say that, that, you know, they're they're the best paid people uh, in the planet, but they've done very, very well. And I think they're appreciative of that. But but sometimes it's also how you're treated. And, and, um, you know, Mike Harris was very pejorative of teachers. I know he's gone. uh, And I know that Premier Ford has turned over a new leaf and he's done much better in terms of insulting the unions and the teachers. But at one point, he did say, you know, they get lots of holidays. What are they complaining about? It's how you treat people as well. But the bottom line, though, Scott, is that I feel very, very badly. I I no longer have kids. I have lots of relatives who are teachers. Mm -hmm. I no longer have kids in the school system, but I have grandchildren in the school system now. But even if I didn't, just to see that wasted potential, just to see those people this morning in the cold, with their Tim Hortons coffee, uh, you know, placards on their backs, uh, on their shoulders, walking up and down sidewalks. That's not what they should be doing. They should have kids in front of them. They should be teaching them. And what the government should be doing is finding a solution. Because, you know, at some point they will. Yeah. You know, at some point they're going to find a solution. Better do it before the fight rather than after the fight. All right. Good point. And I appreciate your take on this as uh, as a former uh, member and, you know, a principal in the uh, in the education system. Let's move on to the arena. And and it looks like council uh, after staff has taken a look at it, that this uh, the idea of an arena at Lime Ridge for the Bulldogs just does not uh, follow with the path that the city has taken in, in refurbishing downtown and such. Um, is there room for uh, an arena at uh, or on the mountain, or does this have to be a downtown thing? Well, so I was at actually at the at the committee meeting this morning, the General Issues Committee, and I was hoping to hear a debate on that, but I had to leave um, before they even got to it. Uh, in fact, they're still in session now, and I'm not sure whether they've dealt with it or not. I can tell you two things for sure. One is that Michael Andlauer has been a contributor to this community, uh, should be treated with respect, uh, he is, is willing to put some of his own money uh, to, to get himself uh, a situation that's more amenable to the, uh, to the AHL kind of hockey that, that he's uh, promoting. 
Uh, and I'm hoping whatever council decides, and it looks as if people were leaning towards not supporting the Mount Arena, if that's what they do, they need to make sure that Mike Landlauer is fairly treated, well treated, and uh, and uh, whatever solution comes out of this, um, and and I've got to be um, fully transparent here. I'm all you know. I do some consulting work, and mm-hmm. I am doing some consulting work for someone that might have an interest in in doing something. Whenever council decides um, uh, the location that that uh, that that needs to be at, so so I, I want to stay fairly neutral about it, only to say that it's council's right to decide what to do. But I hope that they treat the various partners with respect. Uh, Mr. Adlauer deserves that. Is this a? It, it seems as if there's two different arguments here. There's one over the size of the facility, uh, whether it being six thousand or something big enough to hold over ten thousand, or in and around that yeah. space. Is this a location issue, or is this we're looking at two totally different venues, totally totally different projects here? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I know that. Um, uh, uh, Mike Landlauer has made it clear, uh, and and in fact, you know the, the the traffic that goes into the arena to watch uh, uh, the Bulldogs. Um, other than when they were in the playoffs, and I was there for some of those games, and and uh, cops or uh, First Ontario was full uh, for those games. Uh, that's the exception. The rule is that they get a crowd of, you know, between five and ten, so uh, four and ten thousand people depending on, on the interest in the game. So that's the size that would suit him. Um, the other side, though, is that there are lots of other activities that go on in the arena, and not to, not to uh, mention uh, major concerts that draw 18,000 people, and I've been to some of those as well. You know, the, the, the Billy Joel uh, type, the, the Paul McCartney type yeah, of concerts. Springsteen's, yeah. Uh, the Springsteen type of concerts. And so Hamilton needs both, I think. And if they can find a solution that accommodates both a smaller venue when needed, but one that's expandable, that would be the ideal. Is it possible? It's a question of money that, uh, that sometimes determines that. But I can tell you this. There is great interest on the part of the private sector to see things improved with our venues. And hopefully that'll be taken into consideration as well. Uh, obviously, this uh, the deal on Lime Ridge, uh, the deal regarding Lime Ridge uh, uh, came into play with uh, with Ann Lauer and Cadillac Fairview and such, and that's how we sort of arrived, you know, at that location. What is Hamilton's plan for? The original, the old cops, the first Ontario Centre. Is it to keep it as a 15, 16,000-seat arena or take it down to a 12? I mean, you know, here's Andlauer coming in with, you know, a 6 or a 7, but he's interested in Lime Ridge. It, can we not generate the same sort of interest for a project that is downtown? What does what does City Council see happening to first Ontario Centre? Well, and that's, and that's what they're, you know, that's what the process that they've got um, in play right now will determine. Um, remember, uh, the Andlauer proposal was for Lime Ridge Mall and revamping the uh, uh, emptied out space where Sears used to be, yeah. adding some parking uh, there as well, and, and creating the smaller venue uh, that, uh, that would accommodate that. Um, the, if that doesn't go through, and that, you know, council may very well agree with that, as, as I say, maybe they've even voted on that by now. Um, although probably you would know if, if they had done that. Uh, but once they make that decision, let's say they say yes, then that, that happens. 
Um, if they decide to approve that, they'll also decide to fund that. Uh, if they say no, then uh, one way of uh, treating Mr. Andlauer with respect would be to, to actually do something to improve his situation and look after some of the deficiencies in the current arena. So that would mean a retrofit of some sort, a retrofit that would see it um, uh, uh, become a smaller arena when needed and also expandable uh, when needed as well. And I know that there's great interest on the private sector to, um, to look at concepts of making that happen. But for Andlauer to feel that justice has been done and that he's being treated fairly um, because he's got some options, he can leave the city as well, he needs to see some movement right away. And I think that, at least from the people that I've spoken to, there's great interest both on the private sector and also uh, on councillors' part to see movement. So it's not just about talking, uh, it's about doing. And, uh, and we'll see how, uh, how that plays itself out in the next short little while. I would say the next four to six weeks, we're going to get some pretty specific plans on what Plan B is if indeed the mountain arena doesn't work out. Uh, apparently still no word yet coming out of city council in regard yeah. to all yeah. of this. Um, won't, you know, before there is a plan, a idea for First Ontario Centre, does there not have to be a tenant in mind? At the end of the day, how do you build something before you really know what you want to build? Well, and that's, that's part of it, right? So, so um, let's say the mountain arena is turned down um, and, uh, and uh, negotiations, really serious negotiations occur with Mr. Andlauer and others in the private sector um, it, that would actually be doable, actionable, uh, initiatives that are funded by, by the various groups. Uh, if that were to be shown uh, to Mr. Andlauer, um, and, and let me let me you know not not speak on his behalf because obviously I'm just conjecturing at this point. But if I were in his shoes, uh, I and and I was turned down for something that I would be willing to contribute thirty million dollars for up on the mountain. If I was turned down, I'd have to be shown some pretty specific, doable plans yeah. elsewhere uh, for me to uh, commit that amount of money again. And not only plans, but I'd have to be shown a timeline. So I'd want to know that this isn't just a way of ducking it yet again, uh, which has happened before, but it's actually doable. What are the plans? Uh, who's doing what? Who's committing dollars to what? Uh, and, and I can say to you, Scott, that there's great interest in that. And, of course, we know that there's a process that's already been put into place by the city uh, that's trying to address those issues. So if, and it looks like it's going to be rejected on, at Lime Ridge on the mountain, so if that's wiped off the table, and as you said, Ann Lauer's coming in, uh, you know, with a pretty substantial deal and a great option, and, and just to be said, nope, sorry, we're not interested, um, is, is a slap in the face. Does this, will this put more pressure to get something fixed, built, done, uh, downtown? Okay, so this isn't going to work. We know you're serious about this. We know you want to get something done. That puts more pressure on the precinct downtown to get something done with that. Absolutely. So, so I wouldn't slap Mr. Andlauer in the face. That would be awful if you were made to feel that way. I would, I would say, sir, for these reasons, we can't do it there. But here's what we're doing here, and I think you'd be interested in that. And, uh, and here is not only the plan, here are the funding partners, and here's the timeline. 
I think Mr. Anbauer is a businessman after all. He loves the city. He's proven that for decades yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think he'd be interested, at least I would hope that he would be interested in saying, all right, um, it's not plan A for me, but, but it's a workable plan B. Uh, that being said, I mean, they're looking for, as you said, something in the sweet spot of five, six thousand, uh, six, seven thousand people. Can you build something that's suitable for a six thousand seat OHL game and then you can blow up and or move out and put in a cart or something like that in? I mean, is that feasible? Is that possible? Well, well, so I'm not a, an architect. I do know that architects are looking at that. So, so let's see what they come up with. All right. I'm told, I'm told yes, but we'll see. Larry DeAnne has been with us, um, former mayor of the city of Hamilton, talking about uh, all things Hamilton, whether it's uh, teacher-related or whether it's arena-related. Larry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.